Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 490. Stand-up jokes are happening by me in New York, May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, Caroline's. Caroline's Comedy Club, uh, which is where I performed the last time I was in New York. It's a good club. Plenty of room for people like you to come out to it. So please do that. Caroline's.com. Caroline's on Broadway. Um, Come, May 1st, 2nd, 3rd. I'll be there. Who knows? Maybe Chloe Dexter will be there. I don't know. This is all news to me. This is a private conversation. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. So, uh, anyway, Chloe did this really crazy thing the other day. I'm going to tell you all about it. Would you please stop making noise? I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to talk to the listener. Um, One-on-one. Sorry, guys. I'm going to come over here. Someone (laughs) will not stop eavesdropping. Anyway... Chloe was really excited for me to tell you that the sponsor of this episode is Hover. Hover.com. New customers get 10% off with the promo code Bruce Gutter. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I'm so excited about this promo code. I always feel like we should be coming up with better promo codes for people who like just so they can use the promo code, but Bruce Gutter is in fact <laughs> the promo code for Hover, which, by the way, Hover is a great way to secure a domain. Uh, if you want one, use Hover. Um, no matter what, they, listen, they don't really care what you want it for. They just want to help you secure it. it. Takes all the hassle and friction out of registering a domain. It's easy to use. Powerful tools to manage your domain. Anyone can use it. But one of the best parts in this age of not being able to get a hold of customer service on the phone or being rifled through a bunch of uh, menus is that there's a no wait, no hold, no transfer phone service no matter what happens when you're registering your domain if you need some help they're going to be there for you so uh please hover.com they're experts at domains and uh they're going to help you out and register your stuff online 10 percent off using the promo code bruce gutter uh that's b-r-u-c-e-g-u-t-t-e-r hover.com is the place register your domains this podcast is william cat who i I mean, I don't even know if I could express to you how much of a Greatest American Hero fan I am. I mean, he's done a bunch of other stuff. Yes, Carrie, a bunch of other stuff, uh, Perry Mason, a million other things. Uh, and then recently, he's in a movie called Sparks, which comes out on Pi Day, March 14th. And go to sparksmovie.com to find out about that. But I am such a huge Greatest American Hero fan. I've made two. I explained to him how I made the outfits. The I made the Greatest American Hero outfits, and I'm positive it was awkward. But uh, but I don't care because that's just how it is. I'm comfortable with that. So uh, you should watch Greatest American Hero too. I think it's on Netflix. I mean, after you watch Sparks movie, which comes out March 14th. But Greatest American Hero. I think it still totally holds up. William Cat, Robert Culp, Connie Selica. A bunch of kids who are teenagers that he's a teacher for, and some aliens, and a spacesuit that he's lost the instructions for. I will go on and on and on about it. So, uh, instead of doing that, I will simply play the Nurse Podcast number 490 with William Cat. Now entering Nerdist.com. We're good. We're, we're already recording? This is it, man. Oh, cool. This is, we've started. I, I know, right. It's I just know. like... I didn't even get a chance to get nervous yet. Pop quiz, pop quiz. <laughs> Did you study? Did you study? 
<laughs> I got my little uh, uh, cheat sheet. Oh, cheat sheet for the Sparks movie. Well, you know, you do you do so many uh, I, I do so many films and television shows over the year, and you figure there's like seventy five to hundred people on every set. Yeah, you know, and a, and a cast typically of uh, at least ten to twenty. And so you try and remember all these names, and by the by the end of it, you know you're talking about thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> so, and we did this film a couple, of, you know, like 18 months ago now. So it's like fresh. I've already forgotten these people. <laughs> I, I, I don't even care about well, Clancy them. Brown is in it. <laughs> yeah, you must know Clancy Brown. I do know, but Clancy. you do a lot of voiceover too. I've done some. I've, You've done I, like superhero voiceover stuff. I did some for uh, for Warner Brothers down there, but I don't know Clancy from there. I know Clancy. We both sat on the uh, National Board of Directors for Screen Actors Guild. Oh, right. And uh, tell me, that was fun. That was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Those meetings must have been crazy. Oh, my God. I used to tell my <laughs> wife I'd rather sit home and bang my head with a hammer than go to another one of those meetings. <laughs> I, you know, I, I tell you, doing doing that, I don't know how... The federal government gets anything done because you bring a motion to the floor and then it goes back to a, a committee, then it goes to a subcommittee, and then it's got to come up through the ranks then, then it goes back to the floor, and then nine times out of ten it's voted down, so you've got to go back and start all over again. I go, how does anything get done? I, most things don't. Most God. things do not get done. Oh, my God. That is why. So it's, 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 it's kind of uh, close to home because... Nothing ever gets done in my family, even. <laughs> well, you, have, you should not have a subcommittee in your family that yeah. then has to go and then convene and then come back and I know, present I know. it. No, no, and my wife is the president, so yes, all exactly. decisions have to be run by her. And it's she, probably just she easier has the that final. way. It's yeah. just easier that way. Yeah. Um, I, I, listen, I, if, I, if they had told you this before you came, you might have been scared. I have two versions of the Greatest American Hero suit. Oh, wow. One that I made and one that I purchased. Wow. Sadly, the one I purchased was... Well, well now, why are you wearing... The audience can't see it, but you're wearing a Green Lantern suit. I'm not wearing a Green Lantern suit at all. What are you talking about? I'm wearing a shirt. I'm we- Actually, the truth is I'm wearing a shirt about ants. This was from the California Academy of Sciences. Very Hello, cool. Kyle. Sit down, Kyle. Um, Kyle went around and got me a cup of coffee. I like that. Good job, Kyle. You're a good man. Um, but I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of that show, cool. uh, and and watched it again on Netflix kind of recently, and it totally holds up. It's remarkable, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, I'll tell you a, a very a quick, strange story. Chris Foligno and I, who was uh, who's the creator and the, the brains behind this, because it was originally a, a comic book, mm-hmm. uh, and we launched it and went to Comic Con. Uh, with that and uh, The Greatest American Hero, we did a, a, a small run of three books uh, retelling the pilot and then some of The Greatest American Hero. And for that, for that launch, we went to Comic-Con in 08, and we brought uh, Connie Selica mm-hmm. and Bob Culp, mm-hmm. late great Bob Culp. And the, the three of us got together, and we were having lunch, and we were just chatting and having a talk. And Connie grabs my arm. She says, oh, my God, it's still there. Do you feel it? Because we immediately <laughs> fell right back into those roles that we played so many years ago. And the chemistry was just lightning in a bottle. It was right there again. It was such a fantastic... First of all, it's such a genius idea for a show. Yeah. And, uh, it, but the show only ran like two or three seasons, right? No, it ran three seasons. Three seasons, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I always felt sort of cheated, like I wanted more. I wanted more of the story. And then you would sort of, they did a spinoff. Uh, with, a, with a girl, yeah. With a girl, uh-huh. yeah. The Greatest American Heroine. Yeah, yeah. And you sort of passed off the suit to her yeah, in, in yeah. a way. But. It actually never went to air on television. 
Uh, it was only released in the DVDs when they did the, the release uh, some years later. Uh, what, five, six years ago, and they released yeah. it. Yeah, I saw it on the internet, because that's, that's where everything happens now. She looked good in tights, I gotta tell you. <laughs> you look good in tights, too, my friend. There was a, the, young, the young Bill Cat was a strapping, handsome young man. Uh, let's, not, let's not forget, uh, let's not forget uh, Tommy Ross. Let's oh not forget God. Carrie, yeah, yeah, yeah. where, uh, I mean, that were, you know. I, I was quite fetching, wasn't I? You were, you were a fetching, you're a fetching young man. Yes, yes. Um, but, uh, and then I, I'm pretty sure that having been, like, a rabid watcher of television, mm-hmm. that you popped up on pretty much all of, like, the cop drama shows on the 70s. Yeah, at the time, I, you know, I did, uh, I, I, I made the run as a young actor. I was doing a lot of theater, but I made a, I did, uh. All those shows that were going around at the time that all the young actors were going through on television. Uh, I worked with James Arness and worked with Clint, Clint Eastwood on uh, Rawhide or Wagon Train or some such. You know, It's funny because uh, Clint Howard, who's a friend, he and I talk about it because we all were kid actors at the time. <laughs> you know, So we go back like 50 years, if I can say that. That's, that's really aging myself, but... Yeah, it's you, the truth. You always see Clint Howard as like, oh, there he's like in a Twilight Zone. Yeah. Like he just pops up yeah. and, and uh, Land of the Lost too, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, it's, it seemed like at that time television felt like there was a small community of actors that just sort of did everything. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And oh my God, uh, uh, the Bridges Brothers would see them all the time when they were kids and they were working with their dad and Lloyd and. Yeah, just nuts. I mean, there, there was just a, there was a very small community of kids, you know, at the time. Because your mom was on Perry Mason, right? Um, yeah, Perry Mason. And in fact, they shot right here on this lot at one point. Oh, the, here at Hollywood Center? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a pretty historic lot. There was a lot mm-hmm. of good... We're on the old I Love Lucy stage. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, this thing's been around for a long time. So you grew up... You grew, well, the, what was... The, what was now I feel like the idea of the entertainment business is so woven into pop culture now. Right. But at the time, it, it, at least my perception was that it was a very separate lifestyle from just having a regular job and working like a nine-to-five job. And it, I guess the internet sort of really tied everything together. So at the time, did you feel separated or did you feel like, oh, what if I just lived in the Midwest and had a normal life? Yeah, you know, growing up as a kid, I never, you never know the difference because I had no, no perspective. I had nothing to compare it to. I mean, my parents were both working television actors and their friends were, you know, Clint Eastwood and Jock Mahoney, who was a great uh, uh, stuntman here at the time, you know, and... Uh, and uh, so people like that, but they would be at the house all the time. So I had no difference. I didn't know who these people were. You know, I was just uh, running around in the valley at the time. The San Fernando Valley was all orange groves and, and dairy farms when I was growing up in the late 50s and the early 60s. So I, 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 I didn't know anything. And then it all, and then in the seventies, it all changed in the valley. It all changed. Well, they put that when they put the freeway over the hill there in the Sepulveda Pass. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, Sepulveda Pass, the four hundred five. I mean, everything changed then. You know, let's get these buildings up as quickly as possible. That's right. It really does. Right. <laughs> so much it, of Ventura Boulevard just feels like a rush job. They're like, I know. guys, we have a week to get all these buildings up. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter the, what. The, the funny, and it's just as ugly today as it was then. Because <laughs> it know? hasn't changed. It hasn't changed at all. I mean, they're all just these things that are thrown <laughs> up, and they're and and the, the the government talks about infrastructure falling apart. Well, my God, most of the infrastructure here, the buildings are haven't been touched in fifty years. 
Oh yeah, there was a really my my favorite sort of uh, that's the valley story was uh, after the '94 earthquake. There was a building off the 134 that where the roof was completely caved in, and you could just make out a sign on the side that said like contractor school. <laughs> like, well, that, pretty much, that pretty much tells you all you need to know about that, that part of the valley. Yeah, yeah, hands-on training right there. <laughs> Demo first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we made a breakaway roof. Yeah. So that, uh, you know, uh, that's what I was doing yeah. now. Yeah. So then um, uh, when you started, you know, when you started growing, when you started becoming a teenager into your 20s and you started working on all these films and then, well, actually, how was Carrie? How was the experience of, of Carrie? Did you have any that, idea? Did it feel like you were making one of the most important horror films? Oh, God, no. No, at the time. I mean, I was uh, a struggling actor doing a lot of theater. I started at South Coast Repertory down in Orange County and... Uh, uh, I, I, I moved up here and I was making arounds. Uh, occasionally, I would work with Gordon Hunt when he, when he was casting at the Taper, and he'd put me in things, you know, as understudies and sometimes uh, uh, feature roles. And uh, I was just making the rounds as a kid. But when we did Carrie, I mean, they were they were doing the auditions. Him and George Lucas were doing the auditions at the same time. I mean, it's a famous story <laughs> now, right? So we all walked in there, and I think they saw every young up and coming. Uh, uh, actor and actress at the time and I got cast it was uh I don't think I read with anyone other than Amy uh Amy Irving Mm -hmm. and uh, I think I did a scene with uh Sissy uh I I met John Travolta at the time in uh in casting at Brian's uh he had an apartment over on Fountain right off of La Cienega at the time and um we met and a while later we started, but we, nobody had any idea it was going to do anything. You know, we had heard of this guy, Brian De Palma, and there was rumor that uh, he was, this was going to be his breakout movie. I went and I saw Hi Mom and Greetings and some of the things he had done with Bobby De Niro and, and Tommy Smothers, you know, Get to Know Your Rabbit. And, and uh, I, I thought he had a flair, but I thought he was pretty much, uh, I knew him for the, for the kind of dark comedies he had been done, that he had, uh, had uh, directed. But this was uh, quite another thing, you know. And did you feel it the second the movie came out? Did you feel like, oh, this is, uh, hmm, this is something well, my, different? Well, I was living with two other guys. You know, I was uh, in, in basically in tenement housing. We were in a white ghetto area. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like uh, I had th- all these girls would end up on my front lawn. <laughs> I, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> and my roommates were very happy. <laughs> You know, I'm 24 years old. I mean, that was just heaven. Oh man, what a time! What a time yeah. to, you know, it's just. I mean, I, I know, I know, the 70s had its own bunch of political struggles, and it had its yeah. own. But it just sort of. I always think like, boy, what I what I love to go back and be in my mid 20s or early 20s in like the 60s, 70s. Where everyone was just, there were no. It just felt like, yeah, there were no rules. Everyone was just, just fucking around and having fun. Oh my god, it was crazy, and it was crazy. It was a good time. We, I, and I had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get into the sort of details, but I had too much fun. <laughs> but you had, but you, but you got it out of your system. You I totally did. get it out of your system. Did now? Did you feel like growing up that way? Did you? Was there a point where you sort of? Said, well, now, Bill, it's time to be mature and grow up and take this seriously. No, or, no. no, no, no. Maybe recently I've, I felt like that. <laughs> certainly not during that time. And then we, we got around, you know, I did a lot of work. I, I still did a lot of work in the theater, so I was always traveling and doing that. And then Greatest American Hero came, and I had been, um, actually, I was off Broadway 
uh, doing a play with Diana Wiest mm-hmm. um, at the uh, last uh, the last season of the, at the Phoenix Rep in New York, and we did a play called Bonjour La Bonjour, a Michel Tremblay play. And I went right. Steve Cannell came and he met me there, saw the play. We went to dinner, and I agreed to do the script. And uh, my agent promised me it wasn't going to last more than four episodes. <laughs> and uh, came back to Los Angeles. My hair was brown at the time. Uh, I was playing a French-Canadian. I dyed it back to my normal color because I'm naturally blonde. And it was curly at the time, naturally. And, and uh, we did the show. Had a lot of fun. Met Connie Selica, who wasn't going to be a regular on the show. Who, who because the chemistry was so good, Steve made her a regular on the show. And... Uh, we were off and running, Con, uh, Connie and Bob and myself. Did they change your name in the show because it was the same last name as John Hinckley Jr.'s name? I feel like I, I remember seeing... I, I think, yeah, during, was it the first season? That there was Because originally it was Ralph Hinckley. It was but then, Ralph but, Hinckley, But yeah. then there were a series of episodes where there was this really, like... I be, yeah, I became, I became Henley because of the uh, assassination attempt on uh, President Reagan. Yeah. It was John Hinckley Jr., so Hinckley became Henley. So yeah. there was just a lot of, like, VO of, like, Mr. Henley. Like, you would just, yeah. like, kind of hear, like, should we just get the guy who originally said the line? Nah, fuck it, it's one word. Yeah. It's going to be fine. But, but you know, uh, uh, I, I believe the, the, the truth of the matter is that uh, Michael Pere came up with that name. He called me Mr. H. Oh. And when Cannell heard that, Steve and the producers, they said, ah, that's it, Mr. H. That's it. I, and that's how I was always... Uh, addressed from thereafter. I'd always hoped that they would take that story and make it a film. And, and I had heard that it was bouncing around for a yeah. while at like yeah. some, from studio to studio, but no one ever really had like a grasp. Oh, well, you know, I t- in our comic book that, we, that was so short-lived, we did... Uh, it ended... I ended it on the belt buckle because I always was fascinated by fascinated by that belt buckle. I thought it should do something. Yeah. So we made it like a Chinese puzzle box. <laughs> and the last image in our, our comic book was that it was a light was projecting and it was coming apart. And I always wanted to use it as a portal. So I think there was a lot of things that they didn't oh, get around man. to doing. You know? That's so much fun. I know, I know. But, uh, but, uh, but I read uh, a very, very good script of The Greatest American Hero as a feature film, but it never got made. Yeah, there were some storylines that, like, well, there were a bunch of suits that got thrown all over yeah. the world, and then there was... Uh, I mean, Jack Black's name was thrown around to play sure. the bad guy, and uh, Alec Baldwin was, was, was touted to be the new uh, Bill Maxwell. Oh. And, oh, he would have been fantastic. He would have been great. And at the time, we talked about Owen Wilson, who was probably a little long in the tooth now, but... You know, ten years ago, he would have been perfect. You oh, know? what's this suit, man? What is this suit? Like? <laughs> oh man, this fits great. Yeah, I don't know. That's my bad, Owen Wilson. Um, <laughs> I, I was doing an improv show at the UCB Theater, maybe like four or five years ago, and there was a there was a guy in the front row, a distinguished, older-looking gentleman. And in the back of my head, I said, "That's Robert Culp." I know that's Robert Culp. But I didn't want... He was sitting up front, laughing at the show, having a good time. And somehow he got engaged in the show. I can't remember how, but he yeah. got engaged. And so I was, I, I was like, what is your name? And he goes, my name is Robert. Robert Culp! And I, I knew it! And, uh, <laughs> and he was so sweet. And I think yeah. his... Um, I don't know if it was his daughter or his granddaughter. Someone was taking classes at UCB. So he... He came to a show, oh, cool. and then uh, cool. and so I actually I actually did get to meet him once, but just seemed like a, such a warm, lovely man. Um, I, I guess there was that aspect to him. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe age, maybe age <laughs> settled them down. I uh, know, no. Truth be told, I mean, you know, it's it's famous now. I, Bob and I were not the best of friends when we started our show together. I did not know this. And uh, there was a there was some real tension there on the set. But I think it lended itself to good chemistry because in the show we hated each other. Well, that's a good attitude to have about it because it sort of feels like, uh, you know, like I always, I always say this, that it's, 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 it's hard enough to get a job in this business. And then it's hard enough to get a, a job that's on, yeah. that goes. Yeah. And so when, when it's difficult... When people are being difficult and there's like, ah, oh, it's like, ah, oh, this whole other layer of shit we have to go through just to yeah. even work. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was, that was going on and that was always the subtext in the scenes, uh, at least in the first two or three weeks of shooting. I mean, that subtext, like, can I cuss here? Yeah, yeah, you okay. can say whatever you want. I hate that fucking dick. <laughs> what a, what a fucking prick. What a dick. <laughs> But then, but now let me let me let me qualify that because then two or three weeks into it, we did arrive at a détente and a, a working relationship, and uh, subsequent to that, uh, grew to respect one another enormously and had a wonderful professional relationship, and then years later uh, became uh, quite good friends. And in the last years of his life, I mean, Bob and I, we 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 would visit all the time, and and he was a lovely lovely guy. Uh, very good to the people that he loved and his kids and and uh, uh, a, a lovely man. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm glad Whereas I'm Connie Selica, I mean, it was love at first sight. Sure, but uh, she was taken with Gil already, and doggone it, I was married at the time. Gil Gerard, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had no idea. That's so funny. He seemed like a well, there was a little. Bit of, uh, <laughs> What do you think it was? Do you think it was just sort of a grizzled old old actor kind of? Well, a... I think that yeah. You look at I Spy or some of the other stuff he had done. I mean, this was who this was who Bob was. Yeah, you know, just and my God, no one could read a line like Bob Culp. Right. The way he would do line reading was just. It, I, I I don't remember working with another actor that that read a line like that. How was your uh, so when you finally uniquely did the... complex? You know? Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. When you guys actually did your Comic Con panel, what was the what was the reception? How did it go? Oh my God! Well, Connie grabbed my arm as we were walking down the hall up on the second floor, and she said, "God, do you think anyone will be there?" And I said, "I think so." And we walked into the room, and there was like two thousand people sitting there, wow. and uh, it was just crazy. A wonderful reception. We 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 uh, uh, Chris Foligno arranged to tape. Uh, uh, Steve Cannell, who addressed the audience, gave a wonderful, warm welcome. And then we had uh, uh, Bob Culp was there, Connie was there, I was there, Dennis Madalone, who was our uh, stunt coordinator and did really created so much of the of that the nuance that was uh, uh, people grew to love the way he would hit the wall and the. Uh, all the stuff that we arrived at, he'd do these tremendous falls, we, and then I would pop up in the foreground, and people would think it was me. I'd be hiding behind boxes, and he'd hit the ground from 50 feet in the air, and he'd hit the ground right beside me, and then I'd pop up, and people would go, oh, my God, that's Bill Cat." Well, I, I, think, I think with the way that, uh, with the way pop culture has gone now, I've, and, and I don't say this lightly because I don't normally think Oh, things should be rebooted. I feel like that storyline of the guy who gets a super suit and doesn't know how to use it, yeah. that's perfect. That is a perfect yeah. storyline yeah. for the stuff that, that people are, are, are into now. 
I would watch the shit out of that. You know, I think Fox owned the rights. The, when uh, when Stephen passed away a few years ago, I think he told me um, that the rights. Uh, Mike DeBelco, who was his partner in all of this, uh, said that the rights were owned by 20th Century Fox. I'm not positive. Don't quote me on that. But I think his daughter is trying to relaunch it for television. Oh, cool. And I, and I hope she gets it made because uh, it'd be fun to see it back on the air. It, it's, it's remarkable how it still holds up all these many years later. And it works on an, another level now because being as an adult, you know, you, you, I didn't see the humor many, many years ago. But now I see this very kind of sophisticated adult humor that's running just, just behind the eyes you know? Yeah, it was a good buddy cop show, basically. Yeah. It was a good buddy cop show. And uh, it's hilarious to me that to this day, you could start singing the first few lines of the chorus of the song, and everyone in the room will chime in. Yeah. Even if some people aren't even sure, like, what the, they just they know, like, the song has, it's all just permeated culture. It's it's great, and one of my biggest thrills is when Seth MacFarlane paid homage to it on uh, on Family Guy. You know, when Peter was uh, being towed by the boat and he was <laughs> singing the theme song. I mean, that was that was fantastic. I really like that. So you know, you sit when you say like uh, you know you've been working for uh, a, a few decades in film and television, and uh-huh. what do you? What's your takeaway? Like, what do you? What have you learned all these years about? You know, like can you can you kind of for young performers or for young people who are just sort of like, what, what, what did you, when you first started out, what are your ideas about the way things work now versus when you first started? I, I think there's more opportunity now uh, than ever to, uh, to become a breakout in the same way that there's opportunities for uh, gifted musicians because you have access to the internet and you have a lot of content there uh, with Hulu and uh, uh, some of the other uh, content providers that are on the internet. There's a lot of cable stations out there. Uh, cameras are, are much less expensive, sound and recording. Um, I think there's a lot more opportunity, but by the same, in the same token, uh, it's harder because there's so many more people trying to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's only so much beachfront property, <laughs> you know? There's only, so many, there's only so many spots, you know, for, for actors. But... If you got the goods and you're in the right place at the right time, I think you can uh, you, you can find yourself in a in a very very uh, enviable position. Did you always sneak away to do theater whenever you whenever always get away? So much theater, so much theater. Typically, uh, a play at least one play a year all all my career. Just in the last few years, I've I've not done theater because I've been doing some other things. Uh, I'm working with Chris. I've been line producing and producing for uh, Sideshow Productions, Mm -hmm. which is Chris Foligno's company. We do a lot of television commercials, and um, typically for uh, like Jack Specific and Toys R Us and uh, Konami. And he uh, Chris comes out of uh, uh, doing game uh, gameplay. He worked at THQ. He mm-hmm. ran their, their uh, video division for many, many years. Very talented uh, young guy, uh, about your age probably, maybe a couple of years older. But, uh, so I've been doing that, you know, putting budgets together and finding locations, uh, take charge of the casting, help them get all that, and then write the checks and put out fires as the day goes on. And I've been doing that a lot, and I really enjoy that too. Do you like, you know, if you like the theater... Do you like sort of being publicly anonymous in the sense that 
sometimes I think, you know, if someone's really, really famous and they do a play, then people are kind of going to see the fame instead of the play and yeah. the story. Yeah. So do you sort of, do you like the, do, do you, would you prefer to have complete anonymity when you're doing a play so people can really just kind of like buy you as the character or, or watch the story? Yeah, I, I think that's the way it went uh, before. You know, when I've done, I did Pippin with Fosse. I've gotten to work with great people, Fosse, uh, John Frankenheimer. I've worked with uh, Marsha Norman on stage, who, who won Pulitzer Prize for Night Mother. I've, uh, I've done world premieres uh, of, uh, uh, of plays and things, but I never get those opportunities as an actor because I can be asked to do reach further mm-hmm. as an actor on stage because you have a little bit of that anonymity. Whereas in film and, and in television, you know, I always have that, oh, that's Bill Cat from Greatest American Hero. Yeah. Doesn't matter what I do, it's, it's that. Maybe, maybe a little bit different now because I'm, I'm getting older, I look a little bit different. Is that, kind, I mean, listen, I'm sure you appreciate it, but on some level is it sort of like, eh, but you know I do stuff now. Like, is that sort of like, ah, come no, on. St- you know, I'm at that point in my life. I think I've learned to embrace it. You know, we're, it's fine. I, I, I've, I've done my thing. I've had my 15 minutes. I'm, I'm happy just to continue to work, and I get to meet great people like you guys. Yeah, hey. You know. Nice. And then, you were, and then this, this movie that... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did this. I mean, I still work. I did uh, a, a number of films. been working on this film with Chris Foligno and uh, with, with Clancy Brown and uh, Clint Howard and Ashley Bell from The Last Exorcism. And, um, you know, uh, Jake Busey is in it. Which was great working with Jake. I've known Jake since he was a little guy because I've been friendly with his dad, with Gary, for so many years since we did Big Wednesday many, many years ago. And so I got to work with all these great people. I, I have a film coming up called The Unwanted with a talented cast uh, out of Atlanta, uh, Hannah Fierman and uh, some others. I did a, a, a wonderful film that's coming out a, along with Chris's film, uh, Sparks, which is the name of the film that gets released uh, in uh, March 18th, I believe is the release date for Sparks, uh, or mid-March, but you can find it right around then. At- I think it might be the 14th, because that's a Friday. Okay. 14th is a Friday. And we're out in about eight theaters, and it's growing all the time. We have more and more theaters that are, uh, because the word of mouth has been very good for the film. We've had some wonderful uh, 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 feedback from people that have seen it, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be kind of all over the place. We're in, at the Roxy Stadium, we're at the Sierra Vista Cinemas, uh, Lodi Stadium, uh, Lamel and NoHo on uh, on March fifteenth, uh, which is right here in uh, North Hollywood. Yep. Um, at, we're at the Alamo Draft House Cinemas in uh, in Houston in in March. So we're 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 it's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of word of mouth. So uh, I'm hoping that people will come out and see it. What's your favorite thing to do? My, my favorite thing to yeah. do? Yeah. Even if it's not entertainment related, like, what's your favorite thing? Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know. I love to be with my... I love to play with my dog. Oh, you do? <laughs> I love my dog. What kind of dog do you have? Uh, Cooper. Uh, he, uh, Australian Shepherd. They're the best. He's my best friend. So I just... I'm happy. With my wife, my dog, I'm happy to be... You know, I got four kids, great kids, and I hang with them, but they're all grown up now and on their way, and... You know, you know how uh, when you're young and you start in the business, you're like, oh, it's uh, the entertainment business is the most yeah. important thing, and I gotta what I gotta do this, and I gotta work. You know, at what point do you start to go? You know, there's more to life and family and dog, and like, at wh- wh- what point do you do you start to feel that? And so, is it is it is it a comfort that you think that you get where you just get comfortable with yourself and you don't feel like, 
I don't fucking have to impress everyone all the time. I can I can enjoy my life. I don't have to, you know, do a thing to be yeah, accepted. Yeah, yeah, you know what happens is you lose that you you lose that you you don't lo- use lose the love for it for entertainment and whatnot, but you lose the hunger for it. You know? Um I'm not hungry for it anymore. I still enjoy it enormously to to be on stage or to be in front of a camera or to solve the puzzle. You know, that was always my favorite part. Rehearsal was the fa- my my favorite part of stage because you get to solve the puzzle. How do you make these char- this character work uh, so that he becomes a co- uh, 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 you can fill in all the puzzle parts and yeah. make him whole and uh, give him his sense of humanity where he whether he's a good guy or a bad guy fill in all the complexities that make him whole. I enjoy that part, but I'm not, I don't have to do it anymore, you know? Well, I feel like that's... In fact, getting... I don't have to be here anymore. Wait, no, <laughs> come back! Bill, Bill, out of here. Bill please! <laughs> okay. And we never saw him again. <laughs> left his glasses, left his coffee, his pants, his pants! <laughs> <laughs> Theater always... Uh, I, I mean... Uh, do, do, like doing stage plays I did them when I was in school but the theater just thing freaks me out because I I, I always felt trapped by it that's why I love stand up because I can oh, you know I can t- turn on a dime if I need to or interact with the yeah. audience but you know but when you're in a when you're in a scene I feel like there's so much technically that you have to be doing as a stage actor you have to be projecting you have to be emoting in the right way you, st- you have to connect with the audience without seeming like you're trying to connect with the audience but then you're also stuck in it. Like, if it's not working, you're in it for 90 oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's great. It. And, 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 it's, and it's great. Well, you know, doing stand-up and improv and whatnot, it's, being on stage, it's such great training. And, uh, and, and, to, and you can take what you learn there and, and put it in film, but it gives you the opportunity to go, okay, what are you doing if, if the prop is supposed to be there and you have a whole speech about this prop? <laughs> what happens one night, and inevitably will... That prop is not there. Or there's a set piece that's supposed to come out, and it doesn't come out. What do you do? Well, you have to make it up, you know, on the fly. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Do you have a, one of the, a favorite story of that? Um, well, well uh, uh, there's, there's so many that have gone on. Uh, I was doing, uh, I did a, a, a summer tour of, um, uh, I was doing a summer tour of, uh, of, uh, of uh, oh my God. My mind just turned to mush. <laughs> I know that feeling. I get um, it often. Music Man, right? And I was in front of 7,000 people at an open stage back in St. Louis, and I forgot the words of 76 trombones, right? <laughs> I freaking went important. up. So I turned, I walked, I quickly ran down to the front of the stage, and I went, you all know the words? Come on! <laughs> That's a genius improv. And everybody started singing, whew, got, got out of that one. Or uh, there was one time I was doing a speech in Michelle Tremblay's play, Bonjour La Bonjour. I was on stage, and everyone is on stage all the time. And I went up on this speech, which was, ran on for about seven minutes, and it was all me talking. I completely, I had been sick. Uh, I had gone home at matinee, and I had, like, downed an entire bottle of, ni- of, uh, of like, Rubitustin, <laughs> and I was delirious. So I went back for the evening performance, and I totally went up. And then I'm walking around to each actor 
asking for my lines. And they just <laughs> folded their arms and smiled at me with this smug smile. So I just left the stage. I went over to the stage manager, who's on book, looked at the book, and walked back on stage and continued the, the play. Nobody, nobody ever knew. Oh, really? Yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Are there any sort of cheats? Like, do you, it's like, do you, do, you, do you, like, I feel like I would tape lines under things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Sort of like, <laughs> well, I've done look that. At my, my favorite thing is working and breaking the fourth wall. As a stand-up, you get to talk to the audience and look right well, there in their no eyes. there is no fourth wall, really. Right, right. Yeah. So, so uh, my favorite kind of play is to do it uh, like uh, uh, when we were doing a um, uh, couple plays I've done. And you could break that fourth wall. And I'd walk right down into the stage. And uh, one time I was at uh, the Wolf Trap in, uh, in, in Washington in D.C., and I walked down there, and I picked up one of my kids when they were a kid, and I did the whole scene with my kid, carrying my kid around <laughs> as, as the Pirate King, you know? <laughs> I was on tour with George Rose, you know? It was fun. Have you ever... Because uh, th- those, those are my stress dreams. The stress dreams are like, you're on! What's the play? <laughs> yeah. Oh I know, you thought you're supposed to know this! <laughs> I don't... Uh, oh my god I'm having a heart attack it's crazy you know always for me since the time I've been a kid I have to I'm always at the theater two hours ahead of time and I have to read the entire play every night from beginning to end oh wow quickly I mean I do it quickly but I I go through the whole play every night when I've been doing uh, theater just to keep it fresh yeah 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 what's your favorite kind of play to do um I still love musicals, but I've, I've done some really interesting uh, dramas. The Days of Wine and Roses, mm. uh, I did with a wonderful actress, Maya Dillon. We did, did it uh, at the Cleveland Playhouse. Uh, Jack Hofsis was the director. He won a Tony for Elephant Man years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, we did the world premiere of the stage play of it, and that was one of my, one of my all-time favorites. I love doing Pippin. We did Pippin on Broadway with Cheetah Rivera and Ben Vereen. That was fantastic. I got to work with Randy Newman. A few years ago in Seattle, uh, with a, with just uh, a stellar cast from Broadway, and we were doing uh, his life story. We were thought we were going back to New York, but we, for some reason or other, something political happened, and we didn't go to New York. But working with with uh, Randy Newman was like was like doing a a master's class in music every single day, and we did that for six months. That was just fantastic. What's the most important thing that a <clears throat> that a cast, any size cast, has to have? In order for a play to work. Oh, good lord! I don't know. Because uh, it feels like there's, you know, ten different agendas going on, right? People are it's ten different characters. Let's say there's, you know, ten well, characters. Yeah, you're always there to serve the to serve the author. Really, that's what you're there for as actors. You're there to serve the author and what that author wanted. You know, and then, of course, then you have the director's vision and his interpretation of what the author was trying to say. And uh, so you're all you're all there serving another master. Yeah, you know. So it's because it it feels to me like it's a it's a dynamic that on one side of the coin has to be selfish, but on the other side of the coin has to be the opposite of selfish because you're part of a group. And this whole idea of serving the author wasn't even anything that I had thought of yet. So it feels yeah. like I don't know. It just it just feels like there's my brain can't wrap around it in a way yeah. that I feel comfortable with. Yeah, and, and then again, when you're doing, whether you're doing film or, or television or theater, you have to know what scenes are yours and what scenes are your fellow actors. And you have to go, okay, this is your scene. You take it. 
and I will just hit the ball back to you nice and easy so that you can just hit it out of the park. Yeah. You know? And, and that's when, they, when you talk about actors being uh, generous and gracious, you know, giving actors, they talk about that. Those are actors that know how to do that. Yeah. I will give you that scene. I will give you this. This is yours. Take it. Do any of your kids act? No, 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 none of my kids act. Were they, was there ever? No, no, no. I, I pulled out a bullwhip and I whipped them. <laughs> That's a, don't do, this is a headshot. Don't ever get one of these. <laughs> so they all just, uh, they just do. No, regular. they just never, they never show that interest. And, uh, you know, we kind of grew up a little bit on the outskirts of Los Angeles. So there was never that uh, interest, really. And, and if anyone had wanted to, you know, it was always go get it. Yeah. You know, when I was 12, I was on my bike to go get my, one of my first times I met with an agent. I rode my bike, my little uh, 20-incher up to, to meet an agent, you know, because I was interested. It was probably much safer then. <laughs> yeah, well, probably. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> so uh, so what, are the other, what are the other things that you're working on now besides, besides Sparks? Well, Sparks is, uh, you know, we've been working on this for, uh, uh, for quite some time now. We shot it, uh, just a little bit of the... The, the genesis of it, uh, Sparks came, as, uh, as I said earlier, uh, it was an original comic book mm-hmm. idea. We did uh, five or six issues. There is a full-length uh, uh, graphic novel now um, that goes out with this movie. It, it, we're going to be in diamond with that graphic novel, and it's going to be in support of the film. Um, it was a, a brainchild of Chris Fellino's. It was about... Uh, uh, the, the story is a, a superhero noir thriller set in the 1940s. It's a story of a masked vigilante, Ian Sparks, who discovers the dark side of heroism, and he goes after the nation's most uh, notorious super criminals, leaving Sparks' life and reputation in ruins. Did all I read memory. that right? What? That was all from memory. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, as a matter of fact, not only was it from memory, but you can't see, but Bill just took his glasses off and looked up at the sky. Yes. And almost the words... Yes. Just like, yes. just like they said about Mozart, it's like he was dictating the words of the angels. That's they right. Were, that's all. That's yes. all it was. <laughs> we, we did that. It was. We shot it in twelve days. Two crews uh, running from one set to the other. Twelve and, days. Twelve days. It Holy was shit! Two full crews. Do you like that kind of schedule, or do you just no, like get no, it? No, okay, no. Well, the, the horrible part about that was that it was all nights uh, in the middle of January. So it was freezing, freezing out, and we were working every night from like six in the evening to six in the morning, and it was it was raining all the time, and uh, it was just uh, some incredible nastiness. And uh, but we, but we managed to do it, and then we had uh, we spent the next year doing uh, visual effects uh, in between commercials and things that Chris was doing, and two guys did four hundred and fifty CG shots. Oh shit. I mean, so it was a, typically you go see a, one of these, uh, you know, studio films, then they'll be, you'll see like for a minute, a minute and a half, they'll list all these guys doing the visual effects. But in this case, it was only two, two. guys. Yeah. <laughs> do you like, uh, do you like producing? I do. Yeah, I really, really do. I, I, I like, uh, I like saying you're fired because <laughs> I've heard it so many times. <laughs> that's, when it, that's when it all comes back around. Yeah, that's right. well, I always feel like most performers kind of. You know, there's a list in the back of your head where you're just like, all right, that guy was kind of a dick. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And just then, wait. Yeah, just, just wait. Yeah, just, you know. We I, just, we call them in just in order to, and just, we, I say, come on in, we're doing this part. And then they come in, they go, nah, I don't know. I think we're going another direction. You know? <laughs> the direction being that uh, you're yeah. a dick. You're a dick. And, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I always, uh, you know, is, I mean, I, look, anyone's professional career, especially in this business, is, is you really have to become friends with rejection, or at least... Figure out how to tolerate. Rejection really is everyone's Robert Culp in season one of Greatest American Hero. Yeah. And so you really have to learn how to have a good working relationship with it. But it, but it is, but I, but, you know, like, how, how do you, I mean, there are some people who are just naturally predisposed to understanding, like, I'm going to not get knocked down, I'm yep. going to get back up, and that's yep. fine. But, you know, but really trying to impart to people, look, you cannot succeed unless you fail a bunch first. Because oh my God. that's when all the learning happens. Doing stand-up, you got to realize that. And any writer who's worth his salt... I mean, how many rejection letters have all these great writers gotten before they sell that first novel sure. and they have that first hit? The well, same thing with stand-up. How many times have you gone out there and it's just like death in the audience? But I love... The thing that I prefer about to stand-up over like auditioning is that... If the rejection is going to happen, it's immediate, and I know, and there's no waiting. Yeah. Waiting is the worst part. The, yeah. Like the waiting and the hoping and the, you know, it's because it, it starts to, as I'm sure you know, it kind of does this thing to you where you never get too excited or too upset about anything, mm-hmm. which is sort of, you know, kind of robs you a little bit of your experiences. Yeah. But it's but I feel like it's the one way that you can just that you don't go crazy. It's just by not allowing yourself to go like, oh, this is the greatest day in the world. Oh my god, what happened? What am I doing? <laughs> hey, everything's great again. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck is happening? Yeah, yeah. And and you can't and you can't take the, the Zoloft or Prozac or anything because that <laughs> no. that, that deadens that Absolutely. edge that you have as an actor. So you can't do. Doesn't that. stop people from doing it, but they shouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. I always, always, always say that, um, you know, that this business attracts a certain very insecure personality type but it's the worst business for that personality type because it yeah. just you constantly get kicked in the teeth for yeah. for years and years and years yeah yeah so what was it about you well i guess that's one of the nice things about always having theater is that no matter where the highs and lows in television are it's like oh i can just go do a play and at least i can go do you know i can do something that i love well any any play worth its salt i mean there's the audition process as well you know um, I mean, it's 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 very similar, but but the process um, of a theater audition is different. I don't know. I mean, because typically when you walk on stage, uh, a director will work with you, and they say, "Okay, well, let's let's take that back a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, think about this." Uh, I, I want you to have a, bear this in mind when you go through that speech again, and 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 that's typically what will happen on stage. Whereas here, you walk into a room and you're auditioning for uh, a television show, say, it's typically, uh, uh, they have a video camera, and they tape you saying it with uh, two or three other people sitting behind the camera, and you get one shot at yeah. it, and that's it, you know? And then they go, oh, we gave it to someone more famous. What? Again? <laughs> Come on! I worked on this. Yeah. <laughs> it is, but I almost think that it's a good... I, almost, I never appreciated it when I was younger, but I, I really do think now that the sort of the, the cutthroat trial by fire of that process means that only the people that are the most committed are really going to get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poss- possibly. Um, 
And then, you know, I've been now for so many years, I've been behind on the other side doing the auditions. Yeah. And, uh, and having actors come in and audition. And I see a whole other side to it and, and why people are cast for certain roles. And a lot of times it's not at all what they think, you know. No, but why, you, why they didn't get something. You build a story in your head. And oftentimes the best people, the best actors, the most talented, don't get the role for various other reasons. Right. Well, it's, it's you know, because we have no... There's just there's no manual or there's no like well it's for this and this and this reason like most of the time you don't even know yeah. so whatever kind of emotional baggage you have that's probably going to be the oh I'm not good enough again like yeah. no you, they went with an Asian guy what do you want you know well that's what they say when you go and you do the audition just go in and, and give it your best shot yeah and you really have no control over the outcome that's the hardest thing to not just with auditioning but with anything is really learning. Were you, a, were you kind of a control freak growing up, or are you kind no. of a, oh, whatever happens is yeah, cool? I, yeah, I grew up surfing. I mean, oh, yeah. you know. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so I was pretty, you know, pretty chill about everything. What was the surf scene like when you were, when you were surfing? Oh, it's, you know, it was, it was great. It was crowded then. I stopped in the, you know, like, like late 70s. I really uh, put, put my boards away and whatnot and stopped because I was working so much and spent so much time away from the beach by then. Uh, but it was great growing up. In the, in, I was surfing in the, in the later part of the 60s and most of the 70s. <clears throat> it was great. I, mean, I that, loved it. I was there at the advent when they, when they made the switch from longboards to shortboards. Oh, really? Yeah. And would you, do you ever entertain the idea now, well, it might be fun to go out and get on a board I, or like do a little wakeboard? I still have a couple of boards in my garage, you know, but I just, I don't have the access to the, you know, it's, the beaches are too crowded. Malibu's always too crowded and you don't want to get out there and, you know, have people like, hey, my wave, my wave, get on it. You know, I can't do that anymore. Now it just seems, now it seems like the way that people do everything is so extreme. It's like, if you're going to do it, you have to surf like this sh- Heart, the craziest, <laughs> get through the fucking wickedest pipe. You know, I don't know. It's like now everything is everything. Our, our culture seems so much about like, you know, it's cool if it can become a YouTube video and you get punched in the balls. You know, as yeah. opposed to just I don't know. Back then, it just sort of seemed like, oh, this is part of the beach party, yeah, and we have yeah. a bonfire and listen to the fucking Beach Boys or yeah. Dick Dale, and you know, hop on a board. Yeah, it's it, it's always uh, well nowadays. It's about how do you. How do you one-up the next person? How do you make a better video? Yeah. Something that's going to get more play on YouTube, you know? And that's what it's all about these days. Do you know the answer to that? Because I really want to know the answer to that. Can you tell me how that works, please? <laughs> because we're trying. <laughs> it, is, it, is interesting. it is interesting that we are all... that. You know, not in a bad way, but everyone is really all in competition with one another now when it comes to that sort of thing. In the way that you said. I tend to use that as positive motivation like oh i don't want to bury anyone else but how do i how do i up my game you know but it is it's so crazily competitive now how have you this podcast goes out to quite a quite a few people your audience has grown and grown and grown how have have you accomplished that because we had the greatest american hero on (laughs) (laughs) i don't know we just you know it's one of those things where uh you know, I feel like I, I, I tried so hard to fit in with the rest of the business for so long. And then when I started just doing things that I liked because I liked them, yeah. then that's when things started working. I, I wondered why this wasn't um, videotaped. 
you know. But then when I see all you guys sitting here naked, then I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we feel like it makes everyone more comfortable. Yeah. Because then, you know, like if we come in, if you come in and we're not wearing clothes. Why, it's immediately funny when you walk through the door and you see it. You go, oh, well, this is going to be different. (laughs) You know, someday. Someday. Well, we'll have to just do that when it's Matt and Jonah, just as a joke. And when Katie's not here. Because that would be sexual harassment. But if it's just the dudes, it'd be totally cool. Yeah, yeah just a ball a... party. <laughs> so what are you up to the rest of the day? We're almost done. What, what are you up to are the rest are? of the day? Yeah, that was almost an hour, man. Wow, very cool. Well, what are you, what are well, you up listen, to? Listen, quickly, people should look for uh, The Unwanted, which is a great film coming out later in the year, and Subterranea, which is two other films I have besides Sparks. But S- Sparks is pretty cool. I think uh, people are going to really dig it. It's a very interesting film. It's well shot. Beautiful score. Um, and uh, I think people will be really, really surprised. Are you a sci-fi fan? Do you like sci-fi? I, I do like sci-fi. Um, I like everything. Just anything that's engaging. A good story is really fine for me. If you're, if you're home and, you're, in, and you're, you know, you're flipping channels and you see a movie's on, what movie do you go, oh, I'm, I'm in now. I got to sit and watch this. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I like World War Z, and I like I like a lot of sci-fi, and I also like uh, uh, films that are that are dramas and good comedies. Uh, um, I'm I'm a fan of them all. You know, just a good story. Are you guys going to produce anything? Another movie after this one? Uh, we've been tossing around a couple ideas, but. Uh, we're broke right now. <laughs> so we're waiting. Well, that's what, you know, like if you spend so much time working on one thing, it's sort of like, oh, here's the, you know, we're going to gamble it on this one. Yeah. Let's hope, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's hope it all works. But Chris, uh, Chris Felino's got some great ideas. And um, I have a few ideas myself. And uh, so we're, we're tossing those around. And, and we'll see what goes, what, what happens in the next few months. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, I just remembered... You did a whole version of the Perry Mason series. I did. Didn't you? I did. But Raymond Burr was long dead by that point. No, 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 no. Raymond Burr was still alive. Oh, he wasn't it. Yeah, yeah. I did the first four or five years of the Perry Mason specials. Right. uh, With my mom, Barbara Hale. Yes. played Della Street. And I I worked with her for four or five years. And uh, then they went on. Billy Moses took my role and created a... When I left the show to go to Top of the Hill for Cannell again in 89, uh, he took over and they did another four or five years. They did like 23 or 24 uh, two-hour movies. Wow. And he died the last two or... They did three or four without him. He had passed on. I don't know. You know, even as a kid, for whatever reason, when that... When that opening Perry Mason theme song would come on... Da-da-da-da-da... Yeah. It's just the empty court. It's just yeah. dark and creepy and yeah. weird. And I don't know. It always, I always, it felt to me like it was going to be sci-fi, but it, it was never sci-fi. Talk about a, a, a rumor. There's rumor that Robert Downey is, is recreating uh, that role for, of, of Perry Mason. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. And he'd be... <laughs> what? Yeah. He's like self-financing a bunch of it. To yeah. do as a TV show or as a film? No, as a, as, as a movie. A Perry Mason movie series. Yeah. But he'd be great in the role. He kind of looks like a young Raymond Burr. Well, he he's, does. He's smart. He's funny. I think he's, I think he's just perfect casting. Yeah, I, that's really... How did I miss that? I don't know. That's crazy. Because I always wonder, like, so what is, the val- what is the value? Like, what can you bring to... So much of Perry Mason was just Raymond Burr. So how do you, yeah. how do, you do that without, without him? <laughs> I guess if you can make him Sherlock, you can pretty much make him... If you could make an American Sherlock, then I guess the guy can pretty much fucking do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah. 
even if it's a flop, he'll be fine. Even if it's a flop, you know, if he's making the movie and at the end they realize, you know what, this is a flop, then he can just put on the Iron Man suit and just fly through the screen <laughs> at the end and people will be like, okay, I'm on board. It's totally fine. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Hey, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks, you guys. Oh, for my God. Oh, William Cat, it is a pleasure. And, and again, I, I mean, I really tried not to scare you too much at how much of a Greatest American Hero fan I am. But I really did, like, ten years ago, I bought this, like, red unitard, and I, I ironed on the pattern and hand-painted it and wow. made the belt out of foam core and Very put the, cool. the red... I'm going to keep talking about it until you get creeped out. And put the <laughs> red piping along the cave. I'm already creeped out. <laughs> <laughs> Even as a kid, there was one episode where... The aliens came back, they gave you the manual again, yeah. and it seemed like he's finally going to figure it out, and then you shrink down, and you leave it in granules of sand. Yes. And as a child, I was heartbroken, because I felt like I had lost the manual for the second time. And in my adult years, I understand that you need the conflict of not having the manual. Yeah. But God damn it. As I know. God. I know. You, it all worked out fine, though, right? Just tell me, in the fan fiction universe, it all worked out fine, right? Yes, yes. Okay, good. We're all good. Okay, good. Thanks, man. Thanks, man, for having me on. It was a pleasure to meet yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. William Cat. Bye, you guys. That was Kyle. Cheers. That was Katie. Enjoy Bye. your burrito, everyone. Bye, everybody out there. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. For 10% off your new domain name, use the promo code BRUCEGUTTER.